Hi, this is Lily Park. I serve on faculty at Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary in Fort Worth, Texas.、Um, I appreciate BCC for many reasons, but one of them is the relationships with、uh, men and women who represent various churches and organizations and academic institutions that are like-minded in promoting the mission of biblical counseling and. Um, we sharpen each other based on the authority and sufficiency of Scripture, and I also appreciate BCC's free resources for the public. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Fifteen Fourteen. We are really thankful to have you as part of our audience, and I want to say a special thank you to those who support the work of the BCC financially. This podcast, as well as the other ministry outlets that we have, wouldn't be possible without the generous gifts of people like you. So, thank you for making this work possible. If you've never supported the work of the BCC financially, this is a great opportunity to start. We have some generous donors who've. Offer to double any gift that is given, so by with a matching gift. So if you want to double the impact of your gift, give for the first time in December of 2023, and have that gift match. So thank you for considering that. Today's interview is one that I did with Dr. Robert Jones, who's a professor of biblical counseling at the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary. Prior to that, he taught for 12 years at Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary, and prior to that, was a pastor for 19 years. This interview is a getting to know you interview, so we get to hear a little bit about Dr. Jones and how he grew up, how the Lord brought him to saving faith, and how he brought him into biblical counseling ministry. He also shares some wonderful stories of interactions of with different biblical counseling leaders over the years, and then humbly offers. Some some mistakes and difficulties that he's faced in biblical counseling, as well as the joy and rewards that keep him coming back for more, and some great advice to all of us at the end. So thank you so much for listening, and I pray that you are blessed by today's interview. Welcome to Fifteen Fourteen, a podcast of the Biblical Counseling Coalition. Fifteen Fourteen draws its name from Romans fifteen fourteen, where the Apostle Paul encourages the church that they are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and able to counsel one another. I'm your host and the executive director of the BCC, Dr. Curtis Solomon, and I hope you enjoy today's episode. All right. Well, Dr. Robert Jones, also Bob, for those of us who have the pleasure of knowing you,、uh, thank you for being on Fifteen Fourteen. Do you mind introducing yourself to our audience? Sure, Curtis. I'm、uh, glad to be here today. Yes, um, uh, uh, my wife and I have been married for almost 40 years now. We have two adult children who live in Durham and Wake Forest, North Carolina, where I used to teach at Southeastern Seminary. And Lord has given、uh, us four granddaughters.、Uh, I have the privilege of teaching here at、uh, Southern Seminary,、uh, mainly. Uh, in the the masters and the、uh, doctoral programs that we do in biblical counseling, and I absolutely love it here. Been here six and a half years, and prior to that was at Southeastern Seminary in、uh, Wake Forest.、Uh, was there for about twelve years. Prior to that, I pastored in、uh, West Virginia、uh, for almost nineteen years, and that was after seminary. So that's going backwards a little bit of my、uh, professional quote, you know, professional history there. Um, live here in Louisville. Live about a mile from、uh, the Solomons, and so、uh, you know our wives get together for、uh, walking dates and things like that. So,、uh, yeah, that's a quick view of me. I'm also very active in my church at、uh, Hunsinger Lane Baptist Church here in Louisville. And、uh, last night, the Lord allowed me to become an elder in, in the church. So it's just last evening when we had that privilege. 
Um, yeah, just uh, love serving there and uh, doing a lot of counseling and training. Yeah, well, praise the Lord and thank you, thank you for that. And yeah, as uh, as you mentioned, we live just a few minutes apart, and it's a, a blessing, uh, even though so to count you as not only a colleague, but a friend as well. So thank you for that. And we, we really appreciate you and your family. Uh, this this episode is really a chance for our audience to get to know you a little bit. So you backtracked a, uh, quite a bit, uh, quite a few years ago. Um, <clears throat> I don't, that, that might sound offensive, sorry. <laughs> so, but tell us, uh, just to briefly tell our audience about what you were like as a child. What was Bob Jones like growing up? Yeah. And by the way, I'm, I'm 63 as of this broadcast and, uh, I'm very happy. The Lord is, uh, John Piper's books have helped me remind myself that this is the display of God's goodness and grace. So, uh, don't hide my age and thankful for what God has done. Yeah. I grew up in New Jersey along the Jersey shore, Jersey coast there. Um, my mom, uh, was a single mom. My dad died when I was only two. Mom never remarried. Uh, older sisters. Uh, we went to United Methodist Church, very liberal, but you know, my heart didn't care. <laughs> liberal, whatever we went, and I wasn't a believer. Uh, around uh, middle school is when I began to resist going to that Methodist church, and I got cut from my uh, junior high, middle school uh, basketball team. And my aunt went to a Bible believing church that had a basketball team and a church league, and that was the hook the Lord used. So I began attending during my high school days. And um, the Lord used the ministry of the pastor and caring adults, you know, not having a dad. Mom was kind of messed up, frankly, after that whole time in, in her life. And yeah, the Lord just saved me when I was 17 years old and gave me a hunger for him. Well, I, well yeah. praise the Lord for that. He does He does work in mysterious ways, even through basketball. So, Amen. That's right. <laughs> and I, I know this is a side side note, but uh, you you're quite a chess player. So how did you how did you transition from basketball to chess, and what did that look like for you? Yeah, had a chance to play with your son a time or two there. Yeah, um, uh, during my high school days, a friend and I, um, he, I don't know how we got into chess initially, but we started to kind of play a little bit. And then we ended up traveling. We went to, you know, lived in central on the Jersey Shore on the shore. We would go to South Jersey, North Jersey, and even to New York City, just get a bus or a train. You know, and we just played chess in these these tournaments. I did okay. I was rated uh, low. You know, never did much with that since then. But it's kind of been an avocation and an interest of mine. Very, very good. Well, tell us. Uh, you you came. You said you came to Saving Faith at seventeen. Could you share a little bit more about that? Like, what what was it that really, if if there was a particular moment or time or something that you really were confronted with the gospel and your need for salvation. Yeah. I think I just growingly saw the emptiness of my own life and um, a lack of direction and lack of meaning, that kind of thing. But eventually, as you really saw, this is an issue of, of sin and repentance and the need for a savior. So the Lord yeah, opened my eyes to Christ. I was 17. It was in December. Um, upon my conversion, my youth pastor, we were in a very large church that had a pretty active youth ministry, but it also had a Bible Institute housed within the church, about seven or so of the evangelical churches in the area 
uh, combined to create a Bible Institute, you know, for lay pastors and Sunday school teachers, elders, that kind of thing. So I, by, by 10 years, I was the youngest person there, you know, high school senior, but my youth pastor said, why don't you do this? Because, you know, I think Curtis, the first mark of my conversion really was a hunger for the Bible itself. And the Lord just gave me a hunger for knowing this Bible. And uh, so the Bible Institute, Jersey Shore Bible Institute, was the place where I was able to do that. So I took an Old Testament and New Testament survey, you know, that kind of thing, what everyone would do. But when it came to the spring semester, there was a course called Christian Counseling. And uh, I took this course. Uh, I wasn't in need of counseling per se. And uh, I had a few friends that were a little messed up, but I wasn't having that ministry vision with them per se either. But the Lord used that. Um, we read Competent to Counsel, you know, Jay Adams' uh, groundbreaking 1970 book. Now, this was in 1977 when I was that high school senior. <laughs> And uh, I will tell you, the Lord planted two seeds in my life through that. And uh, those seeds being uh, the power of God's word to change lives, the transforming, sufficient authority of Christ and the relevance, you know, everything about his word. The second was the role of the church and particularly the role of a pastor. And while I wasn't aspiring at that stage to become a pastor, God did plant that seed. And so uh, off to Christian College, Liberal Arts College, the King's College, and uh, then in uh, Briarcliff Manor, New York, a suburb of New York City. Now it's been relocated into Manhattan. Uh, during that time, uh, I had a roommate who was a psych major. And uh, the school taught a very strong integrationist uh, approach to counseling very avowedly that way, you know, unapologetically. And I kept reading whatever Jay Adams I could get my hand on, because, you know, this is back in the late 70s, Curtis, and there just wasn't a lot available. So uh, the Journal of Pastoral Practice, which later became the Journal of Biblical Counseling, um, there were some articles coming out. And uh, this is all before, like, Paul Tripp hit the scene and David Pallison's writing. So I read what I could. Um, continued to read that, sparred with my roommate. It was so fun. We were later best men in each other's uh, weddings. He's now a professor of uh, psychology and at a Christian school. A lot of fun with that, um, but kept sparring. Graduated from King's. And during my years at King's, uh, the Lord was calling me and I believe preparing me for pastoral ministry and leading me that direction. Got a lot of affirmation from churches, both at home there and on campus and RA and student government president, all the you know, small school. You can do that at a small school. Uh, so just a lot of those opportunities of ministry. And um, so off to Trinity. Evangelical Divinity School, uh, which back in the 80s was really a very prime place of uh, excellent scholarship. You know, I'm in a Southern Baptist seminary now, but as you know, Curtis, none of the Southern Baptist seminaries of the 1980s would have been very solid or evangelical. So, you know, uh, uh, but, but Trinity was a great place for me. Had a course in Christian counseling, a required MDiv course, but, you know, I it was really a frustrating experience for me because I was taking New Testament classes with people like D.A. Carson, Old Testament courses with Walter um, uh, um, 
Kaiser and just big names in, in biblical and in, in biblical studies and systematic theology courses with well-known professors. And I had this powerful view of the Bible being taught. And then I go to my Christian counseling class. And it was taught by a very, very well-known and reputable um, integrationist leader in the the world of biblical counseling. But it was frustrating because where is the power of that Bible that Carson talks about in in one class and the next hour I'm in another class and it's just there's something wrong there. So during my years at Trinity, I just continued to read my Bible and continued to read whatever B.C. stuff was available. Again, things were starting to come come out. Um, but I graduated. And um, now I told you about my uh, experience with that Bible um, course that uh, reading the Jay Adams book and the two seeds planted. So here I am going into pastoral ministry in West Virginia, an evangelical free church uh, denomination. You also know a lot about brother. I know. And, and so we, um, uh, I began to counsel, but I wasn't very good at it. And I felt very frustrated. I went with what I knew, which was just some of the basics of what I think then would be more called, you know, newthetic counseling and use some of that basic principles, but it wasn't very good. It wasn't. And I was frustrated because I felt like I really wasn't getting to the heart of people's issues. And I felt like I really didn't know how to care better. I was a caring person, but I didn't know how to bring that into my counseling. So uh, probably my second or third year as a pastor, I got a brochure in the mail. I guess it was actually my fourth year about a conference going on in Philadelphia area put on by this organization called the Christian Counseling Educational Foundation. I've never heard of them, of course. And I didn't know any of these names. Uh, there was a name on there, Jay Adams, a little picture, because at that point, Jay and CCF were, I guess, working together sufficiently to, he, he at least did the Bible Hour. Uh, but there's other names that I, I Welch, and then Klaus Luslin. I mean, I didn't have to pronounce David Pallison, our, our dear, you know, departed, departed friend. Um, this dude with this big black thick handlebar mustache named Trip. Like this guy's on a trip, it looks like, you know. And anyway, uh, I went to that <laughs> desperate, wanting some help. And I will tell you, it is like Curtis, a uh, second conversion for me. Again, I had been married when well, I was 89, so I'd been married six years. We had our first child. Uh, I will tell you, the Lord just changed my whole view of myself. And Lauren will tell you, I came back a changed man. Uh, when Paul Tripp particularly opened up James for stuff that all of us in the BC world think about now, but some of us maybe don't remember the first time James 4 hit us and how my heart was exposed. Um, yeah, the Lord just changed me and began working. So at that point, I just continued to read everything I could, went to every annual conference of CCF. Then it was in June, they had a, a week-long institute, uh, and it's so life-changing for me. I'll, I'll take a breath here and, and pause and let you kind of ask me more questions. No, but, that's good. That's good. I want to yeah. get, I want to hear a little bit more about, I know some of you've had a lot of interactions with people, but I'll get to that in a minute. You meant, you briefly mentioned that you got married along the way and now you've been married almost 40 years, but where, where did you and Lauren cross paths and how did, how did you uh, manage to snag her as your wife? 
Yeah, that's definitely a good thing. I really do believe she's got more Christian character, and uh, I really think I married up. I really believe that sincerely, not just saying that as a polite thing. Yeah, we met in college as freshmen in, uh, at Kings. It was a very small a school of 800 people at that point. So we were you know, classes together. I was a history major. She became a history major. And uh, it wasn't until our senior year that we started dating. And we... Um, yeah, it saw maturity in each of us that we were looking for. We had dated other people prior to that, but there was something about Lauren and uh, I think for her, something about me that uh, in terms of our Christian commitments in ministry, heading in the same same direction. So uh, our first date was the Muppet movie. So <laughs> on, on campus. Yes, that was our first date. Very good. Very good. Well, so you finished college, went to, did your master's at, at TED's or uh, Trinity Evangelical Divinity School, go into the pastorate. You're getting, <clears throat> you had already had the seeds planted, as you, as you mentioned earlier. What, what, um, as you were developing and as you were growing, because eventually you end up teaching biblical counseling at seminaries. How did you go from being a pastor in West Virginia who's just hungry, re- recognizing your own weakness in this area and just devouring every every resource you can? Kind of walk us down that path to to how you end up at a teaching at a seminary. Yeah. Well, you know that, uh, let me go back to that, that, that Jay Adams book, Competent to Counsel, right? The Seeds Planted. So here I graduate, I go into my pastoral ministry and my friends who also graduated from Trinity, they became pastors, many of them. They had a different situation than I did. I want to put it this way. Adam's book like cursed me. <laughs> it created a problem for me. Because they were free just to go ahead. These other, you know, my buddies were free to just refer, defer out, you know. But I believe it was the role of the church and the pastor. So, as I said, you know, I just continued to study this. And I think what happened, Curtis, is I also became more and more convinced of the need to train. And so we trained our members as best I could, continued to study. And uh, at that point, uh, I had been taking these, um, you know, weekend deals with CCF and the, inst- the week-long institute reading, and I remember having a conversation with Paul Tripp uh, about directions for me, and uh, he said, you know, you ought to consider our D-Men program. And I said, well, Paul, I really don't need a doctorate to be a pastor. I like what I'm doing. He said, well, you know, Bob, it might open some doors for you someday. Uh, it did for me. As you know, Paul Tripp would testify uh, that opened some doors for him to teach at Westminster. So I entered the D-Men program uh, around 91 or 92. I graduated in 96. And I think through that, the Lord just deepened my love for biblical counseling and my convictions about the need to train, train and train. I continued on as a pastor another eight years as a um, pastor there. And during that time, I met a, a, coll- a soon-to-be colleague there uh, at uh, Southeastern Seminary, and they needed a professor. So the Lord opened the door. Uh, the president then, uh, well, President Danny Aiken, uh, I was in his first hiring class when he came there in 04. Um, with the stipulation that I had to work on a research doctorate on top of the doctor of ministry, since doctors of doctor ministry insufficient for, you know, higher level academia here in the States. 
Uh, so, yeah, taught there for 12 years, drug my feet as long as I could about the research doctorate, but eventually did work on something. It was a distance thing from the University of South Africa, which uh, others had gone through with a particular mentor, supervisor. And uh, it was really a pleasurable time working with him. So I finished that in 2015. And around that time, uh, Southern needed um, profs, two of our main profs had had resigned for very wise and legitimate reasons, you know, support that 100% their choices, but it did leave a, a gaping hole here on campus. So the Lord uh, led me from Southeastern to Southern six and a half years ago, and I just love being here. Oh, that's great. Yeah, it's crazy. It's six and a half years, but that Time, time does fly when you're having fun. So <clears throat> you mentioned already some of the, the people who were influential uh, through writing, but also through relationships who were, uh, and also praise the Lord through the, the connection within the biblical counseling movement, some through the biblical counseling coalition, but also just getting to know one another. Uh, who are some of the other people who are really influential in your lives and maybe share some stories of how they impacted you? Yeah, sure. Um, you know, for me, uh, in terms of the time at uh, Westminster and uh, with the CCF guys, it, it was Welch and, and Tripp and Pallison. Those guys, individual conversations with them. Uh, I think I feel like I, I knew Paul Tripp before he became famous, before he became Paul David Tripp. You know, he, he was just such a caring pastor type guy for me as a, as a student. Um, um, yeah, lunches with David Pallison, who became my advisor, the, those kinds of things, just very meaningful of men who yeah, have obviously grown in stature since those days and more and more writings, but just men who had caring hearts. Uh, you know, Jay Adams, uh, been to many conferences there, had the privilege of staying with him at someone's house. Uh, you know, finances were a little tight. They didn't put up hotels, so we stayed at the guy's house. I had the responsibility of taking Jay from the host house to a um, to the conference. I got Jay lost. I just had my first time I had a cell phone. I didn't even manage it well. And I remember getting Jay lost and we were delayed. He got there just in time. I remember uh, he was the plenary and I did a workshop. And you know how that this works, that sometimes plenary speakers, after they've done their plenary sessions, might want to go to a workshop. But they just sit in the auditorium where they done it, where they did their plenary. So I was scheduled in the uh, uh, in the main auditorium for my workshop. And it was very nervous because there on the like, second row is Jay Adams and I'm teaching on uh, 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 dealing with infidelity, actually. <laughs> After that, uh, I prayed for the Lord to give me courage to go up to him and say, uh, I don't know if I called him Jay. I would have, you know, more recently, but then maybe he's with Dr. Adams. Give me some feedback. Uh, he said three things. He said, uh, this is really good material, Bob. You ought to do something with it. And, and I did. He said, secondly, I absolutely hate those fill in the blank styles of handouts that all you that all those faith Baptist people like to do, you know, because I'd gone to some of the faith conferences. I was doing that. The third thing he said is, you know, when you speak, your voice tends to trail off at the end. 
really have to learn to speak sentences that have good, solid endings. And, you know, many of you, many of us don't realize, you know, his Ph.D. was in speech and uh, you know, he really tried to master that. So that was one of my fun anecdotes. I can also remember going to conferences and hearing people come up to Jay and say things like this. You know, you know, Dr. Adams, we really need a book on this subject. And he would just routinely look at them and say, yes, I think you're right. And since you have the passion, why don't you do that? You know, and you, when you read Jay's writings, uh, you know, and we have all mixed views of, of Jay's writings, I'm sure. All of us probably do. But you'll see frequently in there, you know, more is needed in this area. We need to, a lot more work needs to be done. So that was kind of influential on me. Uh, yeah, as well, uh, Curtis. Um, yeah, there's just a couple ways the Lord used some of these figures in my life. Yeah, no, that's great. I think it's a just a wonderful example you've you've seen from time to time of time uh, through this testimony the influence of that God uses other people in our lives, which is kind of right behind what we what we do in this in this biblical counseling field. Your testimony of the pastor and youth pastor and others in your church, as well as as having mentors in in your professional ministry, and I think it's a good reminder for all of us to maintain and con, uh, relationships with people. We never uh, get to a point in life where we don't need to be poured into, um, as well as being poured out, pouring yeah, out and, into and, others. And to so. pick up on that without, uh, you know, saying too much about your role, but the whole biblical counseling coalition, then, uh, you know, I'm going to give a commercial for that because I have found that to be very, I'm sure you don't mind. I found that to be, and you didn't ask me to do this, but, uh, this is a place where we can have those conversations. And as you know, we don't always agree with our, with each other. And, uh, there's a variance of, of thought there, but it is just a great opportunity as a think tank to get together and learn. So uh, I appreciate what you're doing and what others have done. Well, I pre- yeah, I definitely appreciate the the shoulders on those that we that we stand on. Uh, Bob Kellerman and Garrett helping run the founding and then running the Biblical Counseling Coalition, uh, but also to the the participants. Uh, you and in, you included, obviously, on the council who. Without the council, without those people being there, it wouldn't it wouldn't be what it is. So I appreciate that. Um, <clears throat> I want to. I've kept thinking, where do I fit this in? I think this might be a good spot. You mentioned going back to your college days. You had a roommate who was studying psych, and you guys would spar uh, back and forth. And he's now teaching. Uh, an integrated counseling perspective. Uh, and one of the things that I love about you and what we do try to foster in, in the coalition and what I, I believe is a Christian, just a, a Christian way of loving each other. Um, but we we're not always able to do it well, it seems like. But how do you, how did you maintain a good relationship with your brother who clearly didn't see counseling the way that you did? You know, I'm so grateful to David Pallison, as so many of us are, who who modeled what you're asking about and who in his teaching. So as a student under David, I can just remember how important it was for him that we show charity to those we disagree with. But we also labor to understand what is their position? Why do they believe this? What insight And uh, that was probably very meaningful for me to hear it taught and to see it 
modeled. I would say the the influence, too, of uh, biblical peacemaking in my life. Um, I have had a lot of training with uh, under Ken Sandy and the Peacemaker Ministries. I'm certified with the Institute for Christian Conciliation, which is a very good group. And, and that, I think there's been a lot of emphasis there on, on how to learn to listen and understand what's going on. You know, when I think of a, a guy like a Ken Sandy would say things like, you know, behind every criticism, there's a legitimate interest that that other person has. And you have to learn to understand what that interest is that's leading them to their critical comment about you. And I think we can learn, therefore, from our, our critics. And that's where engaging with others who don't dot the I's exactly the way we would becomes really profitable, I think, for our own growth personally and in terms of our own sanctification, but also in terms of our ministries of teaching and coaching and counseling. Yeah. Well, I definitely appreciate I've I've seen that in you and, and others in the in the coalition and being able to like you said, watching it done well is a is a great helpful tool to see that done well. Um and pray that many more people will get to watch that type of uh love and I see and charity it among my colleagues. I, you know, my colleagues at uh you know, I, I see it in Jeremy Pierre. I see it in John Henderson. Uh, I see it in you and your role uh, currently at Voice. Yeah. Oh, praise the Lord for anything good that comes out of us. Um, yeah, it's a praise the Lord. It's a good it's a good thing to do and a good thing to exemplify. Hopefully, to our students as well are are seeing that. So, um, <clears throat> well, what what are some of the key or Ask the question, this question, what are some of the hardest things for you about counseling ministry? I'm sure all of us who counsel, who are listening to this today would uh, resonate with this desire. I, I, I say this in my class, you know, you think of those old monster movies where the, the creature uh, thrusts his hand or paw or claw right into the chest and yanks out the heart. OK, for me, I wish that somehow I could gently, of course, not like a monster, reach into someone's heart and just tilt it up towards the Lord. You know, where we could just get that a desire to really grasp and follow Jesus. So many of the problems that people deal with come down to that core heart commitment. And so the gospel is at the center, I think, of all good biblical counseling. You know, uh, we we entitled the the book we talked about in another podcast. I know the uh, the Gospel for Disordered Lives, a uh, an introduction to Christ centered biblical counseling. And so, I think we just have to keep that. And so, that's the hard thing. You're asking me what's it's the frustration when I don't sense the person is. Is, is riveted to Jesus and, and, and longing for Christ. Um, that's kind of the hardest challenge. Um, the kinds of cases I like working with are cases that involve relationships. Uh, so I particularly love working with married couples and roommate situations and church, church conflicts there. Um, what I find probably harder, as many of us would find, would be cases that would involve anything that has more of the psychiatric, you know, spectrum there, and you know, those kinds of hard individuals cases. Um, yeah, 
uh, let me say one other thing, too, that might be helpful on this point, too. The relationship between the persons we're counseling and their church and being in healthy churches, I have just, in, in recent years, I've just grown more and more. And I've been doing this counseling thing for, you know, 40 years now. And this has just grown more and more, This the centrality of the local church. And when you counsel people who are in a healthy church, you know, particularly in your church, and you're in a healthy church too, I know, Curtis, I'm sure you can resonate to what I'm saying as well. It just makes a difference because we have, they're, they're hearing solid teaching during the week and they're hearing and they're connecting with people in small group life and other settings where they have support. It makes a huge difference. Yeah. So no, let's, absolutely. let's continue to champion church-based counseling as much as we can. Yeah, no, and I think, I think uh, I, I've talked to you about this and I talked in my classes and it's in, it's in the BCC confessional statement. We believe biblical counseling is rooted in the, in the local church. Um, what that there, I think, I do think there's a variety of ways that happens. Obviously there's pastor counseling somebody, there's uh, lay counselors within the church or vocational counselors within the church. Um, Personally, when I'm counseling somebody who's not from my church, I ask them to bring an ally with them who is from their church because, uh, as you know, and as Scripture says, I mean, they they will benefit from the, every member of the body, and they are part of the body there, and there's just going to be so much more. Um, it's, it's helping them take advantages of all the tools that God has given them to grow when they're embedded in the local church and involved in, in all of that kind of thing. So yeah, de- definitely, definitely agree with you there. Um, so the thing, what are the things you talked a little bit about the things you like to do too, but what are the things that really just give you joy in counseling and really keep you coming back to this ministry again and again and again? You know, I was just asked that question yesterday in uh, some, some internship training we do over at Hunsinger Lane Baptist church. And, uh, it's seen marriages particularly uh, come back together, and I gave you more specific, uh, where there's been infidelity. Uh, it's such a joy to see the Lord um, restoring marriages. I can think of times where I've received a Christmas card after the restoration has occurred with the picture of the couple with a child on their lap. Thank you, Bob, for your work in our lives. So. Those kinds of things are among the most meaningful things for me personally. Yeah. Well, praise the Lord for, for those. And yeah, that's, that's a, that's a sweet reward to see that for sure. What, uh, if you, without violating confidentiality or anything like that, but a story maybe you could share of a mistake that you've made in counseling that might encourage, uh, encourage and challenge and equip our audience a little bit. Yeah, there's probably two I could think of. One, one was a, uh, a, a woman uh, who was in my small group that I was counseling her. And she was making some progress. And I asked her to do a journal thing, uh, journal some of the growth the Lord was doing in her life. And she came to the small group and she kind of slipped me the journal. And um, she asked me, so what are we doing tonight in the group time? I said, well, I thought we'd go over your journal. Chris, I don't know. Only an imbecile. I mean, how stupid, unkind, uncaring. I said that. And as I said it, I realized, Bob, what are you doing? And, uh, you know, her heart broke. So I, I went to her and I just pleaded and she did forgive me. 
I had another one that, you know, the other one that went really bad um, was just some times where I, I kind of dropped a ball with getting back to a particular person or rescheduling and, you know, I missed an appointment and stuff like that. Again, early in my ministry, I'm thankful the Lord's protected me from all that since. But um, there came a point where I had to apologize to her a couple times. And there came a point where I said, listen, I understand that if I have lost your trust, and, you know, I was hoping she'd say, oh, thank you, Bob. Lord, she said, yeah, you have. <laughs> yeah, you've lost my trust. I I can't continue. Um, I guess one other one I'll just mention was um, a, a suicide situation. Um, now, I don't, the Lord hasn't convicted me of any ways we failed on that. I and the best women in my church reached out to this particular lady. But I do look back at that as, a, you know, uh, could we have done something different? Could we have done something better? She wasn't a member. She had visited different churches. Um, yeah. Yeah. Those are those are particularly challenging. And I appreciate you sharing all, all three of those examples. And that last one is one where, and I've, I share this with every, I think in our, well, you weren't there at the boys faculty meeting because we've had, you know, you have students who, who threaten or attempt that. And just rem a reminder to all of us that, that people's hands, people's lives are not in our hands. They're in the Lord's. And I uh, tell counselors, students, anybody all the time, like if somebody you know or working with ends their life, that is not your fault, but you will question it. Like just without a shadow of a doubt, like we will, we always, what could I done? Is there anything else I could have said, should have said, what, you know? Yeah. I think that's a natural, um, whether or not it's natural, everybody, everybody wrestles with those kind of questions. So, yeah. My very first night of training at Westminster, it was all day, these modular courses in my DMIN program. Uh, the professor did a practicum thing in the evening, and he challenged us with this question. What would you do if you counsel someone and and the counseling goes well and you feel like the Lord's with you and you're giving good biblical counseling, you show your care, et cetera, right? all the good things. And you later learn that evening they go and kill themselves. What, we, what are you going to do? And basically he said, you need to decide that now. You need to think through that even now, because if you're going to own that, then um, you really shouldn't head into counseling. And it was a good reminder right from the get go. So, yes, I've had to do exactly what you said. Yeah, that's a good word. I mean, I had one one person who it was years after we had ended counseling and it actually at the time counseling ended, it was going well and everything. But years later, they ended up committing suicide. And I, I still like you have those questions like, man, should I have re reached out more after that kind of thing? So that's a, that's a great word for all of us to, as a reminder, refresher, or for somebody who's hearing it for the first time, you definitely, uh, people's lives are not in your hands. Well, thank you for sharing the, those really poignant ones. Um, one, if <laughs> I know there's lots of advice, you, you teach classes at a doctoral level. So there's lots of advice you could give a, a, an audience of biblical counselors, but if you could pull one piece of advice out for our audience today, what, what piece would you like to share? Continue to mine out scripture. Um, we can, uh, God speaks into and about situations that we sometimes don't uh, understand that he speaks into them. 
and and without being proof texters and using Bibles encyclopedia, when we begin to really study the scripture itself, it is life-giving and life-transforming. And so God in his word looks at the same phenomena that all the other, all of us look at, whether you're a psychologist or a therapist or whatever, all of us are looking at the same phenomena. But God brings insight and authority into that that you will not find elsewhere. And so we appreciate the observations. You know, Pallison would speak of the observational riches that uh, therapists and, and researchers and our grandmothers, you know, and just the world sees. I mean, novelists have insights and observations about the phenomena of what we observe. But God is the one who speaks with with authority and, and relevance into that. So keep your study of scripture clear, even as you delve into a lot of different topics that we have to delve into. We just had a, a, a colloquium here uh, that, that John Henderson led, uh, dealing with trying to define and understand what do we mean by mental health and mental illness? These, these words that are bandied about in our culture, what do we mean by them and how do we understand them and how does God speak into the same phenomena? Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you for that. That's a, a piece of advice will never, never fade, never go away. Uh, and until we see Jesus face to face, we need to keep, keep digging into his word and, and growing to be more like him through it. So, <clears throat> well, brother, we have a segment at the end that I call two minute favorites. And I know you've done this before, but uh, I don't think you've ever gotten to do it solo. So uh, you, you up for this? Sure, let's go for it. All right, so it's two minutes. I'll ask you a bunch of questions about your favorites, and uh, we'll see if your answers change. So here we go. What is your favorite food? Uh, we'll say pizza for today. <laughs> All right. Favorite color? Favorite color, blue. Favorite sport? Uh, right now, I am into World Cup and enjoying that, uh, despite the U.S.'s loss. All right. Favorite, yeah. sports, favorite sports team? Um, U.S. men's national soccer <laughs> team. Um, Celtics, Packers, Yankees. I love all the big, big sports uh, teams like that. All right. Favorite, yeah. favorite gift you've ever received? Uh, my father-in-law gave me Lauren. <laughs> that would be uh, one of those greatest gifts received. You know, just there's various things I've gotten from uh, friends in Brazil. And now I'm not even thinking of a particular thing, but almost I go to Brazil a lot and love going to Brazil. I've been there 10 times. I love ministering there. And yeah, various tokens and things like that. Favorite gift you've ever given? You know, I've done this before, and I'm drawing a blank from what I would have said last time. And uh, I went into the day thinking, hey, I got this. I've done this before. But now I'm blanking out on the favorite gift ever given. Probably it was to my doctoral supervisor in South Africa when we visited, gave him an iPod that uh, had a technology that was new to him many years, several years ago now. So very meaningful gift to my doctoral supervisor. Very good. Favorite word? Compassion. Thinking about it a lot recently. Mm. Yeah. Least favorite word? Mm. Infidelity. Favorite book of the Bible? 
I've heard so many broadcasts you do with people. I just have to end up doing the same thing that they, a lot of your guests do, brother, and that is the one I'm into right now. I just preached uh, yesterday morning. I don't preach a lot, but I preach from Psalm 46. So uh, the Psalms again, yeah. All right. Well, that wraps say. up our two-minute favorites and our, our interview today. So Dr. Jones, thank you so much for being with us today on 1514. Curtis, thank you for your work and uh, the opportunity to, to serve. Thank you for listening to today's episode of 1514. If you'd like to find out more about the Biblical Counseling Coalition, you can visit our website at biblicalcc.org. Special thanks to our podcast engineer, James Wills, who does all the post-production editing to make this podcast sound so wonderful. Also want to thank my assistant, Carrie Felton, for helping to arrange these interviews. And a special thanks to Andrew Riddell, who composed and recorded the music we use on 1514. I hope you have a wonderful day.